Father, we love you, God. We acknowledge you as Lord, the true light, the source, Father God, of our salvation. Father, thank you, God, that we can, Lord, talk to you every day, not just one month out of the year, one day out of the year, God. We can, we can celebrate, Lord, um, your life, God, what it means to us. And because of you, Father, we do have light, Lord Jesus, in us for those who have followed you in relationship. Thank you, God for how you've worked in our midst already this morning, Father, showing us, Father, that it is all about you, showing us that the purpose of the church, God, Lord, is to make disciples, Father, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God. And, Lord, um, we just pray that you'll take this time, Father God, and you'll minister to us through your word, Father. And uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, guys. Good to see you all today, and it's already been a wonderful time of um, being the church, doing what the church should be doing. And I appreciate this band that just pours in every week, working so hard to lead us to the throne of God so that we can receive his word. And so um, we have been in a series that we just kicked off last week. It'll be a short series, but a very meaningful series about this time of year. And I've entitled this The Light of Christmas. The Light of Christmas. And last week, uh, if you were here, we talked about that Jesus is... He is the light of Christmas. In fact, one of his seven, Jesus made seven emphatic I am statements. And one of them was, I am the light of the world. His second one, if I'm not mistaken, that he made, that he was the light of the world. And so we're kind of looking at that. Last week, we talked about that he is a light to the lonely. And we talked about this time of year is actually, uh, it's a sad time for many people that have lost a loved one and uh, that has had tragedy happen around them. Just heard about a tragedy last night in the community where someone lost a, a, a husband and a father with a 12, an 8, and a 1-year-old. Uh, and so uh, we need to lift the uh, Stilly family up in prayer. Um, one of my members made me aware of that. And so it can be a very trying time, a very tough time uh, for many people. But we found out last week that Jesus is a light to the lonely. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's one that will never leave us nor forsake us. And so today we're going to be talking about, and this is one of my favorite um, meanings behind the life of Christ and his purpose in coming to us, is that Jesus is a light to the lost. Anybody grateful for that? Anybody not got over your, how much he changed you uh, and how, bla- how dark it was where you were at uh, when he saved you. I haven't, and I pray to God I never do. That's why it blesses my heart to see these little ones come to the Lord and be reminded of how God drew on my heart when he drew on my heart to salvation. So he's literally a light to the lost, and we're going to be looking at that. The takeaway is simply this. Everyone walking in darkness needs a light. Everyone walking in darkness needs a light. Now, I'm an outdoorsman, and I'm a hunter. Any other hunters in the house or outdoorsmen, campers, hikers, a few of y'all crazies? Uh, and so it's, it's not uncommon for me to, uh, to get out and be running around in the woods, even by myself. Um, and so I, I'll be out. But, I, but if you've ever been out in the woods uh, when it was dark and uh, without a light or have your light go out, uh, I always try to carry an extra flashlight and, uh, or some extra batteries in case my light goes bad, just to have an extra source of light. And I have, I have been in the woods before um, when my light went out, uh, or I forgot to bring my other light, and it'd be pitch dark to where you can't even see y- your hand. You know what I'm talking about? And I come out, when I did make it out of the woods, I didn't come out where I wanted to come out, and I had briar marks all over me, and I had to explain all that to my wife, honey, I promise I've been hunting. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And so I had all these marks on my face and all over me, and I was all scarred up and, and, and skin up like I'd been in a cat fight and uh, come out, and it was a rough night. I can remember doing that. I can remember uh, years ago when I used to hunt, I had three dogs on a leash uh, and a hunting raccoon 
raccoons and got turned around in the woods, and it's just me, three dogs, and the rifle. I didn't know who to turn loose. You know what I'm talking about? I didn't want to leave or lose any of them and walking in circles. And so I got to thinking about that when we talk about that uh, the light is to penetrate darkness. It's to uh, expel darkness, to diminish darkness so you can see where you're going. But here when we move this spiritually speaking, I want you to think about this, okay? If you've also ever been out in the woods, there is a time when actually... The, the light that may be provided from the sky, which ultimately is provided by our Creator and our God, and this is pretty cool. If it's a night where there's a good bit of light that the moon's providing, sometimes you can find your way better around the woods even without your man-made light. Have you ever noticed that? If you've been in the woods, if you're a hunter, you can kind of see better, and you can see the trees better and the sky better. But when that light's not provided by God, and you even have your own, own light, uh, many times you can get uh, turned around. You can get confused. You can be halfway burning. And so the point in behind all of this is that God uh, began to show to me and speaking to me about Jesus being the light of the world spiritually is, is that he is the source of our light. But many times men will come spiritually in trying to find him, in trying to eliminate or alleviate their own darkness in their life, that they come up with their own man-made light. They come up, in other words, spiritually speaking, of I'm going to work my way to God and what he has for me. I'm going to work my way to heaven. I'm going to have religion and get to God. Uh, I'm going to have great church attendance or be on a church row and get to God. And all of those are false and phony and fake ways and imitations of light to get to God. And you say, is that a big deal in our time today? Yes, it is, because all the occultic religions around you believe and teach that. And that's what separates Christianity from all those other religions, is we have the true source of light. And it's only the true source of light that will lead us out of darkness, out of discouragement, out of depression. And that's what we're going to look about as we talk about everyone walking in darkness needs a light and needs the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, the only light. Uh, clarifying John 14, 6, his words where he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. Nobody makes it into heaven except through Jesus Christ. So we don't get there on our own good works. We don't get there, as many would say, if you ask them how they know they're going, they, uh, many people's response automatically would be, well, I'm a pretty good person. No, you're not. No, you're not spiritually speaking, and none of us are spiritually speaking. That's why we need a true light, a source to lead us out of the darkness, ultimately the darkness of sin, and that is Jesus. So I want to give you some realities this morning in our time together that remind us of our need for Jesus, for those of you that know him, to not take that for granted, and then to tell some of you possibly for the first time uh, why you do need Jesus, and then to tell some of you who actually are trying to present your own works or your own man-made light to get into God's kingdom or to appease God or hoping that your scales, the good will outweigh the bad, that you'll find that that is a false and phony foundation for finding life and that you must come through Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice. And so the first reality is this, and then we'll look at our first text. The first reality is we are all sinners in need of a Savior. That's the first acknowledgement that we must come to, that we're all sinners, we're all walking in darkness, we're all in need of a Savior. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, and we'll have it on the screen as well for you. And you can look in your worship guide if you'd like to turn in your Bible and mark those. We've got all the verses there, uh, and or not all, but I'll share a few, but most of them are there that you can kind of 
uh, look through your worship guide if you want to get ahead of us and look through your own Bible. But it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. Now, that is spoken through the uh, prophet Isaiah. And God used Isaiah to speak this in a time. And this was great news for the people of that time that there was going to be a light that would free them. Because Israel up until this point was being led at this particular time uh, in uh, the book of Isaiah by King Ahaz. And King Ahaz was a man that Isaiah was doing what we should be doing and what he should have been uh, doing that God called him to do, and that was trying to point King Ahaz to uh, Jehovah, to Yahweh, that he would put his trust in God, in God alone, not in himself, not in his own armies, not in aligning himself with the Syrian armies or different armies, and Isaiah is trying to get him to follow that advice, knowing that the children of Israel will be blessed, knowing that Jerusalem will be blessed, and so Isaiah is trying to get him to put his trust in God, but Ahaz makes the mistake of many of the other kings like King Saul and many of the wicked and disobedient kings and he chooses to provide his own source of security. He chooses to align himself uh, with his own powerful armies and other armies that he thinks he can get the job done and in his pride he decides not to choose the way of Yahweh or the way that Isaiah is trying to influence him to choose. And so what that resulted in is the people of God and the remnant of God were in a dark, uh, discouraging, uh, bad time that they were having to walk through. And so that's when uh, Isaiah seven fourteen, a few chapters back, says um, that God didn't literally leave his people alone. He didn't, he, just because you don't sense God there, or just because the darkness seems to be so dark and so heavy that in your life when you're walking through it, or in our world that we're in, it does not mean that God has left us alone, that he doesn't have an answer, he doesn't have a plan. And so in Isaiah seven fourteen, it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The beautiful name Emmanuel, which means that God is with us. So God sent a word to the prophet Isaiah and to the people to hold on to not bell ship, to not get discouraged, to not forget the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their spiritual forefathers that God in his timing was going to provide a sign, a light that would lead to life, that would set people free, that would be greater than the Old Testament sacrifices who literally they were to bring their best because blood had to be shed all the way back to the garden when God clothed Adam and Eve himself and said, the leaves aren't enough to clothe you. I'm going, something's got to die. I'm going to clothe you with a sacrifice and the and the fur and the garments of a sacrifice, but literally the Old Testament sacrifice was not sufficient to deal with our sin problem all the way in its totality and its fullness. And so the people in the Old Testament are looking forward and having to walk in faith. They're having to look forward to walk in faith of the one that the prophets are talking about, of the one that is to come uh, through literally the seed of David down that line, but ultimately would come from Mary, a young teenage girl being impregnated by the Holy Spirit of God, which occultic religions cannot buy that, they cannot believe that, and that's part of the problem and why they'll never find the kingdom of God or an entrance into heaven is because they do not believe God's way in sending his son that he is his son and that he is God himself. So you fast forward into Matthew 4 and verse 16, you see this same passage. But in Matthew 4, you have people who, they get to live this out. They get to be a part of the greatest Christmas ever, and that is the original Christmas when it happened. 
Now, that would be pretty cool. I don't know about you, but to be a part of the original Christmas. Now, if I were, I wouldn't be here right now, all right? Everybody said amen, and neither would you. And, but it would be pretty cool to be a part of the original Christmas where it actually happened. And some got to do that. Some got to be a part of that. But you know what's interesting in how God works and when we talk about faith? Um, the Bible says, blessed are those who have seen and believe, who literally saw baby Jesus, who saw Jesus in his uh, human form, in his human flesh, in his 33 years of living, and his three years of ministry. But he says, even more blessed are those who have not seen and believed. So in the Old Testament, you've got people looking to the promise of God, and they haven't seen him. They're walking through their darkness and discouragement. They're watching their wicked kings, but they're looking to him, believing. And God says, I love you enough that I'm going to send you a prophetic sign. I'm going to give you a sign. And then you've got the people in Matthew. They hear the same words. Look at Matthew 4, 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Now, here's the interesting part, okay? These people had not seen any light, anything positive, spiritually speaking, for over 400 years. They had not heard clearly from the voice of God. They didn't even hear bells ringing. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, They didn't hear anything going, I hear a bell ringing. That's why I said that. I don't know. Brent, can you hear the bell? And so... They didn't, they didn't hear bells ringing. They didn't see lights in the sky. They didn't see any of this stuff uh, going on. And they were in a dark time. You look at the end of the Old Testament, closes with the book of Malachi. Malachi brings a strong word uh, uh, to the people there. And, and they had not heard a word all the time of Matthew. There's a gap in between that that's 400 years. They were in need of a word. They were discouraged. They were in darkness. They were like, we need God to speak. And after 400 years uh, of silence, God does speak. And that's when we come into the Christmas scene, literally before Jesus is even born, God speaks to Zechariah. Zechariah was the high priest representing the people. And when God spoke to Zechariah, even though Zechariah had been looking for a word from God, he had been representing the people. When God spoke to Zechariah, when he went in to literally pray for the people, went into the Holy of Holies, it overwhelmed him. He didn't even have faith to believe what God was speaking. He went silent. He couldn't even speak when God said, here's your sign and I'm about to give it to you. And your son, John, you shall be, he shall be named John. Well, Lord, I can't even have a son. No, I said, I'm going to give you a son. You shall call him John. His name shall be John. And he's going to be a forerunner. And he's going to be the first cousin and the forerunner of Jesus Christ himself. And so God comes onto the scene, and he speaks. And when he speaks, he speaks in a loud way. And the people needed to hear him speak. They needed to know that they remembered. They had heard about the promise. They had read the prophets. But they got caught up themselves in time, like we do many times. And God's not in time. God brings everything about in his way and in his plan. But everybody needs this light. Everybody needs a Savior. That's why Isaiah said almost um, uh, 50 chapters later in Isaiah 53, 6, he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid uh, laid on him, Jesus that is, the iniquity of us all. So we're all in need of a Savior. God loved us enough. The second reality is this, not just does everybody need a Savior. There's only one that is this Savior, and that reality is Jesus is the solution for sin offered to everyone. So he is a solution offered to everyone. Now, when you hear the word solution, here's what a solution uh, can be described or defined as. A, A means of solving a problem or dealing with a difficult situation. There's never been more of a difficult situation than the sin situation. 
than the sin problem, and there needing to be a solution. Now, in a man-made solution, okay, I'm not a chemist and I don't know a lot about it, but I did a little research, and this is basic uh, when it comes to dealing with solutions, but in a man-made solution, we would be dealing with a liquid mixture in which the minor component, the the solid, is uniformly distributed into the major component, the solvent. But in the God-made solution, Jesus never became a minor component or less than God. He always has been, always is, and always forever will be. But we needed a solution. And God said, I'm going to send myself. See, here's what I want you to get, okay? I want you to get that when God sent Jesus into the world, Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel that Isaiah the prophet gave them, and it said the name, his name will be called Emmanuel, Emmanuel means what? God with us. So God sent himself to us, wrapped in the form of uh, human flesh, the form of Jesus Christ the Son, the form of a baby, and the form of full light. So when you look at John 1 and chapter 1, I want you to notice these verses. When you look at John 1 and chapter 1, and this is what separates the, the Christianity from those other religions that claim to walk closely to us, but they cannot line up with John 1 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, is what it says in John 1 and verse 1. Now, 114 says this, and this is what the people got the personal experience. And the Word of God became flesh. God became flesh, dwelt among us, dwelt among us, John is saying. John's, John's saying this, I... I I I was tight with God. Now, that's amazing if you think about it. Pretty amazing. I was tight with God. Jesus and I were tight. He refers to himself as he's talking about the one that that Jesus loved. Now, Jesus loved all the disciples. It almost sounds like John's being a little prideful and haughty there. But he's saying that they had uh, a unique relationship in their godly love for one another and the way that they uh, uh, literally walked together. He was one of his disciples. And so he's talking about relationship, relationship, relationship. I had a relationship with with God, because Jesus was God. He dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, it says. So the God-made solution was the God-man solution who always existed. Let me say that again. The the God-made solution was the God-man solution who always existed. So when we talk about Christ being the solution, God didn't make Jesus Christ, okay? God's solution was not made of man. Man could not make this solution. We might make solutions for other things, but there's some things that we cannot solve in this world. One of them is we can't come up with any formula to stop man from dying, can we? Do you think we will? I don't. In fact, I know we won't. How do you know we won't come up with some type of solution to stop man from dying? Because the Bible is the ultimate authority that says it's appointed unto man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. So no one could be powerful enough... (laughs) To, to even bring a solution to be that could stop us from dying or cause us to live longer. That would be outside of the sovereignty of God. It cannot happen. And so because of that, if we're going to die and we've got a sin problem, then we need a lot to take us out of our darkness. And that's why Jesus is the ultimate solution 
and he is the, 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 the man, the son of God's solution, God in the flesh. So even this blows my mind, and I'll have to talk this out with Jesus when I get to heaven, and I still may not understand it, even when I get my glorified body, because I still won't be like God in his all-knowing, okay? Because we will never exhaust the mind of God. But even when the Father had to turn his back on Christ the Son, Jesus never ceased to be God or fully light. He never ceased to be God. Jesus never ceased to be God. He had to be fully God and fully light to dispel darkness and conquer our sins. Only God could do that in his sovereignty. Look what John 1 verse 4 through 9 says that's on this screen. In him was life. Everybody say life. Thank you. And the life was the light. Everybody say light. The light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, the first cousin of Jesus. The baby leaped in the womb when Mary went to visit uh, Elizabeth, and they were both pregnant with child. That wasn't the baby's ability to do that. That was the Spirit of God bearing witness that God is doing something here. There's something special going on with these two children here. And so um, the light shines in darkness. It did not overcome it. And then it says, uh, verse 7, it uh, tells us about John, verse 6. Verse 7, he came, John came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, verse 9, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So like John, we are to be witnesses of the light. Now John got to be his forerunner as he's coming on and was even out of the womb a little ahead of him in, in the age there, but he gets to be the forerunner, and he says, John 1, as Jesus comes onto the scene to do his ministry, behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin takes away the darkness, takes away the discouragement, takes away the depression, takes away the selfishness, the greed, takes away every form of anything that doesn't represent God in his holiness. He's saying, behold him, he's the one that takes it away. He's being witness of that light. Well, we're to be witness of that light, and we're on this side of his birth. We haven't seen him uh, like the disciples were able to see and behold him in the human flesh. But we believe, just like the Old Testament believers, believing that everything pointing, everything in the uh, Old Testament uh, was pointing to Jesus Christ, we are looking back saying we have not only the Old Testament, the New Testament, we know everything points back to a man named Jesus Christ. And it's ultimately all about Jesus Christ. And everybody's going to stand and give an account to Jesus Christ. Not Joseph Smith, not Muhammad, not Allah in the form that Islam teaches him but to Jesus Christ himself. So that's why it's important that we have our lives in tune, that we are not only enlightened in our mind by the word of God, but it literally takes form in our heart, and we receive the light of Jesus Christ. And I'll say more about that in a minute. So just as John was preaching, prepare you the way of the Lord, we, as Christ followers, those that know Christ, should be preaching, prepare for the return of the Lord. Because Jesus told his disciples, just as you see me leaving, you're going to what? You're going to see me return. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to get my bride. I'm coming back to get my people. It's important that people realize that and live their life for me and my kingdom. And just like Isaiah was trying to lead King Ahaz to Yahweh, we should be trying to do the same with all people. We should be trying to do the same in our own form of government like we've talked about. That we could be literally not only praying from the outside, but that God would move Christian believers to get more involved even on the government side to be those lots in those places and those platforms. 
that can help lead us back to being a God-honoring nation and a holy nation. I don't know who that's for. It's not for me. My job is to preach from this platform, but, but God may, may spur you on to, to be someone who can be a positive light, a positive um, politician for a good cause, to get, to get our country as a whole. But that's our job. We're all to be involved in the same thing Isaiah was doing in the Old Testament with King Ahaz, the same thing John was doing as a witness, and that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 19. This verse says this, that is in Christ God, okay, in Christ, in Christ God was reconciling the world to who? To himself. <laughs> in, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Jesus is God. Through Christ, I'm reconciling the world to myself, God is saying, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, who's us, every believer, every disciple to come. He, what did he entrust to us? Light? No, he gave us light, that relationship when we responded to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. But he entrusted us with a ministry. What is that ministry he entrusted you with if you're a child of God? And entrusted me with a child of God? To be a great business person? To be a great teacher, to, to climb the corporate ladder. No, 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 don't miss this. Don't miss this. He entrusted us and gave us the ministry, it says right here in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, the, the ministry, the message of reconciliation. So when Isaiah is going to King Ahaz, trying to get him to turn to Yahweh, when John's out there and he's taking the hits big time, you know, and, and he's raw. I mean, God knew who to put the, put the anointing on to break the yoke because he's raw, he's real, he's, he's living out in the wilderness by himself in the desert, and he's just different. You know what I'm saying? John the Baptist, y'all think I'm different. John the Baptist, this cat was very, very different. I mean, he'd come up to preach the word to you to repent and spit a locust leg on you. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, he just eating, eating those locusts out in the wilderness depending on God, and he's preaching a word of truth. But he was serious about this message of, and this ministry of reconciliation. We should be the same. We should be the same. So the reality of this line is, is that Jesus is uh, the, the, the ultimate Savior. We said the second reality. He's the only light. We said first reality, we all need, <clears throat> we are all sinners and we need a Savior. We need this light. But the third reality is this, we should all. We should all be sharing the light with everyone, no matter their status. No matter their status. Our tendency is, as believers, is just to communicate and talk to those who are like us or who hang out with us or who play ball with our kids, uh, you know, and it's, um, <clears throat> it's that concept. But Jesus says, no, 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 don't miss my heartbeat. See, the beauty of Jesus coming to us and the beauty of Christmas to me is, is not all the presents that we all get, and that's wonderful and that's great. The beauty of Christmas is, is that God left heaven and he came to man, and he came to men who had no time for him and made no room for him, and he was born on the outside, but I believe to remind us as his body not to hang out on the inside and to always be here for the world and those that don't know him and those who may not have everything. So Jesus didn't come to the kings because of their pedigrees and say, I'm going to be born in the palace. Jesus came and he was born in a, in a dark, damp, cave, literally speaking, not even quite like our nativity scenes is. And I believe that's a reminder uh, of Matthew 25, 34 through 40 that says this, follow with me, if you will. He says, he talks about the sheep and the goat. And so um, he says, he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then, notice verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, 
Remember, places the, the, the sheep on his right, the goats on the left. That's literally the separation of believers and non-believers. And he'll say to those on his right, to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was hung on the form of an angel on a Christmas tree. And you taught me the love of Christ. I was a four-year-old kid in a Head Start program. And you showed me the love of the Father. I was the neighbor two doors down without a job. And you brought me Christmas. I was naked and you clothed me. I was the person under the bridge in Birmingham who had been sexually abused, thrown out by everybody and did not believe in the love of God. I was the person who had been used and abused, and I was the person who people told me they would be my friend, yet talked about me behind my back. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? Now check this out. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You did it to me. We are not just called to be a light to those we are most comfortable or connected to. We're called to be the light that Jesus was to us. So as you bow your head and you close your eyes and you think about this passage that just as these people, these these sheep, these believers, Jesus was bringing it all to place. And I believe the the people in in this passage begin to check their own heart. I believe some had to check their own heart and and they they were probably saying, I'm glad I'm a sheep and I'm I'm glad. But Jesus, that that was you that I passed by? That was you. That was you that I touched. That was you that I was ministering to. Or that was you that in my selfishness I refused to make time to be a light to. That was you that when I made sure my three selfish kids who always get more than they deserve and need that I neglected when it was all about me and my four at Christmas that was you yeah Jesus that was you when I kind of had the mindset of yeah that sounds great it's a good opportunity to help somebody but oh somebody will do it I'm too busy yeah that was me that was me Lord that was you that I should have invited to church on Sunday and when the darkness was greater than it's ever been around me. That was you that I that yeah, that was that was me. Oh Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me. That may need to be your prayer. Lord, forgive me for passing you by. 
forgive me for not being a barrier of your life and a witness of your life. Forgive me for being so zoned in on myself that I was too busy to give a cup of cold water. And then some may need to pray, Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to just pick up an angel and and make a child's Christmas, to pack a shoebox and put a smile on a kid's face and put the gospel in a shoebox so you could touch a kid's heart. And I don't know where you're at. You may be here today and you may say, man, I'm that guy walking around in the dark trying to provide my own life. I'm that guy who if somebody asked me how do you know you're going to heaven, the first thing out of my mouth would be I'm a pretty good person. I'm that guy. Well, let me tell you, thank you for admitting that because that's the first step to turn you from hell is admitting that you're trying to do it on your own and you can't do it on your own. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it if you have perfect 100% attendance, church attendance, on Sunday. That's not what gets you into the kingdom of God. It's receiving the light of Jesus, the light of the world, and allowing God to wash you from it and cleanse you from your sin. For you, you may be like some who you get it in the mind, but you've never stepped out and you never stepped out and exercised faith in your heart that you were going to, on your own, move toward God. God's moved toward you. See, but what I'm trying to say is you can know that in your mind, and you can even say you believe it in your mind. But until you step out by faith and move toward Him, you have not received the light. You're still trying to produce the light from the outside in, and God wants to produce the light in and through you from the inside out by coming into your life, by residing in your temple through the Holy Spirit. So you may be here today and you may say, I'm that guy. I, I'm, tired of, I'm tired of thinking I'm a pretty good person. I'm tired of trying to be good and earn my way to heaven. I need Jesus. If that's you, just tell him right there in your heart where you're at. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I need you because I'm a sinner and you're the only solution. Now wash me clean of all my sins and enter into my heart and my life. Holy Spirit, I invite you in to live inside of me and guide me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we give a hand clap for those who may have prayed that church this morning, amen? They receive the greatest gift. Receive the greatest gift there is to receive. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. However the Spirit spoke to you or moved you, this is a time of response. And so we're going to stand and we're going to, we're going to sing our praise to the King.
We're going to confess. If there's confession, if you haven't already, confess. There's altars open to confess. Counselors will be here. We're going to bring church faith family members. We're going to bring God what is His. That's what this time is through. The offering is, is bringing that tithe into the storehouse. Guest, if you'll just drop that Guest Connect card, we certainly would appreciate it. And we'll pray for you and any prayer needs you have. Let's sing, Rich.